Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 57. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a new herbal remedy that is helpful for allergies, for sore throats, topical inflammation, cough, and even autoimmune disease. Then I'm going to be discussing the recent admission by the FDA about the progressing problem of euthanol in pet food. Lastly, I'm going to show you two studies which are documenting the benefits of homeopathy for dogs and cats. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. You can download the Stitcher app and search for Veterinary Secrets. Or go to stitcher.com forward slash podcast forward slash veterinary dash secrets. Definitely, I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. Any questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. Or you can send me an email, and that's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Licorice root for dogs and cats. Licorice, it's a member of the legume family, and while there are species that grow in the U.S., Glyceria, which is sort of the Latin name, is primarily native to Europe and Asia. Also, you might see Chinese licorice listed on products. In that case, it's a different subspecies called Glyceria uralicinus, the second variety. Licorice root benefits are primarily the same between the two varieties, according to the Journal of Advanced Research. However, it's worth noting that Glabra, that's sort of the first uh, licorice species that's primarily grown in the U.S., is typically the variety referred to when we're discussing licorice root. Glyceria's name reflects it's the most popular known claim to fame, known as sweet root. With an extract that can be 30 to 50 times sweeter than sugar, you know, we can sort of see why our ancestors were inspired to turn it into candy. In Chinese medicine, anti-inflammatory licorice root has been used for centuries for many of the same uses that science has now confirmed. Coughs and colds, gastrointestinal issues, and even female reproductive issues. Some of the side effects and warnings. Some of the side effects and warnings. Well, the one active ingredient called glycerin is the one which may cause side effects. Fortunately, this is not very often seen in our animals. Some of the noted side effects when it's overused include increased blood pressure, reduced potassium levels, edema or swelling, and other secondary issues. You want to make sure you're going to avoid using it on your dogs or cats if they have elevated blood pressure, they have underlying heart disease, liver or kidney disease. Because this would exclude many animals with high blood pressure, liver and kidney issues, licorice supplements are now being standardized and they've removed this compound and they call it DGL or deglycerized licorice. And this is probably more important when we're looking at you know, giving it to your dog or cat on a long-term basis. And that would be more for some of the ongoing gastrointestinal issues. So let's just talk about some of the top five uses that I see using licorice in dogs and cats and how I've used it on my own animals. So first of all, licorice root itself. And most of the time you guys are going to get it as a tincture. The active ingredient that is really anti-inflammatory is called glycerin. And that's how we're seeing its benefit for allergies. It's a glycoside that acts similar as a natural corticosteroid, but without some of the adverse effects of weakening your dog's immune system. It it enhances the body's anti-inflammatory processes, really makes it more of the perfect herb to more align with some of the conventional treatments like steroid therapy. So what this does is this herb allows certain dogs, if they're on high doses of prednisone, some of these other steroids, we can sort of lower some of those steroid doses in conjunction with using it. When we're looking at doses of a licorice tincture, it's about a half a mil of the tincture for 20 pounds of body weight. You want to do that twice a day for a maximum of 14 days. I mean, I've just used it short term. I used it on my last, my little dog Tula, who had a sort of a, a little stomach allergy, difficulty sleeping at night. Honestly, two days of dosing, I gave her half a mil twice a day, two days, and that's all she needed. I was really surprised just how 
quickly it worked. And for most guys, that's what I suggest. You're gonna use it, use it for itch or an allergy, but you're just using it short term. They don't don't run into any of the secondary side effects. Two can be used as a topical anti-itch medication. It's a really easy to make home remedy. We're using one mil of the licorice root tincture, one tablespoon of coconut oil, and five drops of lavender essential oil. So you're gonna mix that up really well. And then you can apply that as a topical to the affected area twice a day for seven to 14 days. And also if all you have is coconut oil, no lavender oil, that's fine. It can be made just with the coconut oil itself. I've used it and my little tool has got the little crack in her nose. It sort of comes and goes. She responds really well to that topical medication. Three for cough and sore throat. So one of licorice root's most well-known uses is to help ease congestion from coughs and colds. It acts as an expectorant, you know, helping to loosen up and expel the phlegm. It also has a soothing effect on irritated mucous membranes. The German standard license approves licorice root infusions for loosening mucus, alleviating discharge and bronchitis. I recently used it in conjunction with honey. Myself, I got this nasty, nasty sore throat. So I used one mil of the licorice tincture. I used one teaspoon of honey and it worked awesome. I had a little bit of water just enough so I could sort of dilute those in together. Worked so, so well. It, it can also be used as a gargle or a mouthwash prior to surgery. And that was one interesting study I read where they actually used licorice root. They gave patients before going into surgery gargling with licorice and what they found is because after as part of surgeries you're going to have an endotracheal tube put down your throat and that many of these people had much less sore throats because you imagine having this big firm rigid tube and going down your airway how painful that could be but that made a huge difference. So once again I mean that's just more basis or more some more proof backing the use of some of these herbal treatments. It can be used for helping relieve stomach ulcers. So licorice has antibacterial properties that have been found to help relieve stomach ulcers, many of which are, can be caused by Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori. In Germany, licorice root is now being approved as a use for the treatment of ulcers. Also for acid reflux and digestive support. So no question, licorice root is beneficial for digestion and helps soothe irritation and inflammation of, the, of an inflamed digestive tract. In Germany, once again, it's been approved for treating painful spasms associated with chronic, chronic gastritis. And in France, it's now being used to treat bloating, impaired digestion, and gas. An extract of licorice root was also found to help alleviate symptoms of functional dyspepsia. That's an upset stomach and a combination of extracts from licorice, chamomile, silverweed, angelica, blessed thistle, and wormwood have been shown to be effective in relieving indigestion and mild gastrointestinal complaints, including vomiting. So the big thing I see it here is if you've got, say, a dog or a cat, they're chronic vomiting for whatever reason, Maybe they have some type of inflammatory bowel disease, some type of secondary, um, you know, chronic food sensitivity. Maybe your dog or your cat is on an ongoing antacid. So an alternative would be licorice root, but it's got to be DGL, so the deglycerized uh, licorice, which is fairly easy to pick up. And I was just in a natural health store and I saw it as an option. If you're giving DGL, it can safely be given long-term with no, uh, no chance of any serious long-term side effects. And the fifth big thing I see for using licorice and licorice root is as an anti-inflammatory and immune system support. And there's over 400 compounds that have been isolated from licorice. Um, some of the ones include names that I have difficulty pronouncing, such as isoloquiritogenin and neragenin. These constituents 
promote regulatory T-cell induction. So this is you know, obviously modulating different parts of the immune response, which play a critical role in controlling immune response and preventing autoimmunity. So think about that anytime we're trying to deal with an allergy. It can also be potentially beneficial in helping fight viral infections. It has fairly broad spectrum antiviral activity, and it may be effective against herpes virus. Think about these cats recurring herpes viruses, hepatitis, uh, influenza. According to one study published in the Chinese Journal of Virology, um, some of the constituents of licorice have the potential to become a novel broad-spectrum antiviral medicine and will be widely used in clinical treatment. The second part of today's podcast, this comes from the FDA, where they reported that euthanol was a problem in pet food. So the director of the Center for Veterinary Medicine, the U.S. FDA, noted that new evidence that the problem may be more pervasive than originally thought. Uh, the resurgence of recalls and dog illnesses related to pentobarbital contamination of pet foods startled Steve Solomon, DVM, who's now in his second year as the director of the Center for Veterinary Medicine in the U.S. FDA. The cycle of pentobarbital-related recalls needs to be halted with preventive controls, he said, but noted new evidence suggests that the problem may be more pervasive than originally thought. You know, I was surprised earlier this year when pentobarbital came back as an issue and came back in full force, he said, during the Feed and Pet Food Joint Conference in St. Louis, Missouri. Pentobarbital simply should not be found in pet food. The American public, especially pet owners, demand this of us as regulators. They deserve to know the comforting fact that their animal's food does not contain a substance that is intentionally used to euthanize animals. Yes, I agree, Steve. On March 2nd, the FDA upgraded jam smuckers with raw pet food products to a recall affecting Kibbles and Bits, Old Roy, and Skippy brands. The FDA based this decision on a test confirming the presence of pentobarbital and the tallow ingredient that's fat using the affected products. The problem of pentobarbital entering the companion animal food system may be more widespread than initially presumed, you know, said Solomon, although the FDA investigation has not concluded. Most of us probably think that pentobarbital contamination comes from a few bad actors, he said. New evidence is showing us that it's probably potentially much more pervasive problem in the animal food supply than originally thought. Although Solomon said he believes that rendered products may be a source of pentobarbital and pet food ingredients, he also recognized that rendered products are a valuable source of the pet to the pet food industry and they help reduce strains on the environment. Great. So then the FDA is claiming that they're going to act on this problem of pentobarbital in pet food or euthanol. There's a 14 to 15 year time frame between the last pentobarbital recalls and the start of the most recent recalls, he said. This sort of kind of tells a story that some of the issues reoccur and we need to be diligent as to what hazards can reoccur. FDA officials are currently working to address the problem of pentobarbital in pet food, he said, with a current draft of hazard analysis and risk preventive controls for food animals. Hmm. Then there's the Framework for the Food Safety Modernization Act, which is allowing the FDA to establish means to monitor for pentobarbital in the pet food supply chain, he said. Federal officials are willing to work with pet food makers to implement preventive control for animal feed regulations through educations, guidance meetings, and discussions to help control pentobarbital in pet food, he said. Wow. So my thoughts here, first of all, I don't know how this is happening. Clearly, there's been some certain amounts of laxity and less regulation going on on within the whole pet food market and secondarily you've got you know these big 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 array of different pet food companies and in some cases you know they're looking at low quality how can we sort of get as much pet food as possible animal proteins get getting more expensive let's start including these dead decaying diseased, dying animals 
and obviously some have been euthanized and throw that into pet food. I mean, it comes down to an, an issue of cost. You know, people wanting like really, really inexpensive pet food, there can be an issue. Secondly, it comes down to this lack, you know, and obviously these certain unethical um, companies in the first place, or at least people that are suppliers to some of these companies. And third, just a real big lack of regulation. So what can you do, you know, as a real concerned, you know, dog or cat owner? First of all, you do get a certain amount for what you pay for. So be really thoughtful about what you're feeding your dog or cat. I encourage you one. So go with more natural, holistic brands if you can afford to do that. And you do a little bit of your own research. There isn't sort of one best food out there. You know, I even rotate my doubt my dog and my cat's food secondly too from the research i was doing online the bulk of the foods that had euthanol or pentobarbital in them i mean these are in these sort of can type foods you know where where it can be in a much more concentrated form not not that it can't be in kibble you bet it could be as well so when you're thinking just be really cautious don't be buying any type of sort of these cheap 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 canned foods and third you know write to your your legislatures or anyone who's locally going to be making some of these laws encourage encouraging more strict and guidelines and more stricter laws around you know t- testing wise and you know expecting I mean, we have all these different things that are monitoring that we get monitored for at the very least there should be some sort of basic regulations around what what is in our dog and our cat's food and it just seems like that's not the case now the third part of today's podcast comes about and i'm talking about homeopathy for dogs and cats really should you be using or should you should you not be using them and more than anything it's of all the things that i discuss it's the one where i often get the most not necessarily most positive feedback about um, because just many people just don't get it and honestly i was in that same boat it just didn't make any sense to me how can something with these little microscopic things with that it's so diluted have any beneficial effect but i wanted to talk about a couple of studies and just let you know leave it with you guys that you make the decision i personally used i've used tromiel which i'm going to talk about here on myself i found it to be beneficial i've used arnica in a array of different dogs and cats many pet owners swear by it Um, i've used arsenicum for dogs with diarrhea they seem to really respond but it's up to you guys to consider it so the first study it supports the use of tromiel in people and it's called tromiel an emerging option to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs in the management of acute muscle musculoskeletal injuries so what is tromiel Um, it's a homeopathic primarily based on arnica primarily dealing with pain and inflammation, but there's a number of other homeopathics in it. Here was the conclusion of the study. There's a growing evidence base supporting the effectiveness of tromiel alone and in combination with other medicines and or non-medicine therapies in treating acute musculoskeletal injuries. Tromiel appears to be well tolerated with no signs of severe adverse events and no evidence of gastrointestinal bleeding. NSAIDs, you know, such as Rimadyl, Medicamp, etc., etc., may cause gastrointestinal ulceration and bleeding and are a particular risk for patients with diseases on co-medications or who are older. A recent consensus by international experts on muscle strains concluded against automatic prescription of NSAIDs for all muscle strains as they may predispose to recurrences by masking pain. However, they also agreed that controlling inflammation may be beneficial to minimize early damage and subsequent loss of function. Tromiel, the conclusion here was that Tromiel 
may thus provide an alternative anti-inflammatory and analgesic agent for these patients. And then I'll put a link under the show notes for uh, of the actual study, but it, so you can actually go on and read specifics about it if you like to. The second study was specific with dogs, and it talked about evaluating complementary therapies for canine osteoarth- osteoarthritis homeopathy. The abstract said a homeopathic combination preparation for canine oste- osteoarthritic pain was evaluated in a randomized, double-controlled, and double-blinded clinical trial. 44 dogs with osteoarthritis were randomly allocated into one of three groups. All dogs were fed test products or a placebo for eight weeks. Our results indicate, indicated that the HCP zeal was beneficial in alleviating chronic orthopedic pain in dogs, although it was not as, as effective as carprofen. Uh, that's Rimadale. In conclusion, the results of the relatively small study of dogs with moderate to severe osteoarthritis showed that these dogs receiving the HCP zeal for eight weeks had significantly less pain their, than their placebo peers. Homeopathy as a treatment is often seen as controversial, so this positive treatment result for dogs for this low dilution HCP should be of major interest for human osteoarthritis researchers and clinicians alike. As chronic pain due to osteoarthritis is a major reason for decreased quality of life nowadays, both for humans and dogs, we should proceed with more studies in this direction. And I'll also put a link to that second study under the show notes as well. So thanks you guys. That comes to the conclusion of this podcast, podcast 57. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've sort of been, I know I haven't been near as consistent as I would like to be. I'm in the process of um, hiring some help because I just find myself sort of running behind, being a bit too busy. I also signed up for volunteer stuff, which what happens when you're, you have a home office and you don't have a full-time vet clinic job anymore. But anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. First of all, so you can leave a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog where I'm posting all the podcasts. Send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Any, anyways, once again, thanks for listening. This is Dr. Jones. <laughs>